to Tigers Podcast with Viking FM. What a goal! Gabriel Krasicki! Your fortnightly insight into the news, views and performances at Hull City. Hello and welcome to the Tigers podcast with Viking FM. I'm Steve Jordan and alongside me is the club ambassador. Hull City's top scorer, Fraser Campbell. A slip by Lewis Carroll. Windass! Quite simply, destined to be from Dean Windass. A clinical volley. Step forward, and who knows? Maybe that's the moment from the hometown boy. But for 104 years of history, the city of Hull has been dreaming about. I still love hearing that. A lot of things have gone on <laughs> since then. <laughs> PA announces very loud as well. I have to have a word. Um, before we start, um, I suppose we'd we better be a, a little serious at the beginning. Mm. Uh, the sad news uh, a week back that Ryan Mason called it a day as a pro footballer, <clears> an incredibly difficult decision for him. At the end of the day, though, um, he's got to look after his health and his family, hasn't he? Yeah, we well, said that. Obviously, listen, I was very fortunate in my career, you know, not to have serious injuries. But it is a shame for the for, for Ryan. I spoke to him six months ago, and he was waiting on the the final result, really, from the specialists. And in the interest of his health, Steve, I think that you know the most important thing is he's still he's still healthy. And as you say, he's just got a he's just had a little baby as well, so um, it'd be gutted. But obviously, he'll he'll he'll, he'll either going to the media or he'll, he'll do a little bit of coaching but hopefully he'll, he'll stay in the game but is it, it, it's a shame for all City and obviously it's a shame for Ryan When you were a player did you ever have a, a teammate who had to retire early? Uh, yeah uh, Gordon Watson at Bradford City broke his leg um, with a really bad tackle um, and obviously he was waiting on his on his compensation or whatever you know, to, to move on with his life and he, he, he went into into radio so uh, I spoke to Curtis Davis and I think it's a difficult one is is that the one thing about it is that you know if you if Ryan's in training and 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 it does it does happen you know people do collide with each other and if you do catch him in in, in his head or whatever and, and something seriously happens you won't forgive yourself so um, it's probably difficult for the other players as well. Lovely touch from Danny Rose as well when Tottenham scored the second goal against Rochdale on Sunday, kissing the camera and shouting Ryan's name. I, that, yeah, I, quite the tingle when that. There was a big player for for Tottenham, wasn't he? So um, you know, and it was a a nice gesture as well, obviously from uh, from um, the lad who who hurt him. You know, in a sense of that he, he was gutted that he that he denied accidents to happen, but that was a great gesture. Yeah. Well, it goes without saying that on behalf of myself and the Tigers podcast, we wish Ryan all the very best for the future. Hopefully, he'll come and speak to us in a future episode. That would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Now, today's episode has got a bit of a different feel to it. I'm looking forward to this one. We've a fascinating insight into how transfers behind the scenes of a club are conducted and how the windows have changed over the years. Thrilled to welcome today our Head of Recruitment, Lee Darnborough, to the Tigers podcast. Hello, Lee. Hi, you okay? I'm looking forward to this as well, by the way. (laughs) I bet you are. I know you've got a couple of questions you'd like to put forward. (laughs) Lee, thanks for coming in um, and taking the time. Uh, First time you've really, since you've arrived, um, been able to talk about your role properly. You arrived in the summer. How have you found it since you've been here? Um, the biggest thing is probably challenging. Obviously, the unit came in in June and I followed in July. So to get to speed to a new head coach, a new club, new ownership, new set of players, um, it, it was a big challenge, really. We'll touch on it later, even more in depth. But can you touch on your role as, as head of recruitment and how that fits 
with the head coach, Nigel Adkins, and the owners who ultimately sign that paperwork, the all-important paperwork to get people here? Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, uh, misgivings probably about the role of head coaches slash managers in terms of the title and who gives players to, to the head coach. I think from my point of view, it's it's vital that they have the final say. Our job is to be out on the ground, uh, gathering intelligence, looking for the types of players with the qualities that they want, and then to produce the shortlist for them to then choose from and ultimately to put through to the owner. Dean, since you're a player, um, a lot's changed in the world of transfers. Mm. How important do you think the relationship is between Lee and Nigel if <coughs> if the right players are going to be identified and coming in in the summer window? He's, Lee's got to get it. He, he's got to get it right. You know, the one thing about it is that you know his roles and responsibilities is to give that information to to the manager. Um, sometimes, and I think Lee'll agree. Sometimes it don't work out. You know, sometimes you you, you recommend a player. The manager then obviously says yes, and then the owners then got as as you say sign the paperwork. My question is: Have you ever been criticised by uh, an owner or a chairman saying, "Well, you've recommended this player, but it's not worked out"? That's your fault. Uh, in the clubs I've worked for, um, no. no, no, because ultimately I think uh, the biggest part is we're a team. Yeah, um, we have a group of staff. We've had to build specifically about the club. Now we've had to build a department yeah. that um, wasn't there when we started um, which now we, we're generating information all the time through so at the clubs I've been at previously again it's balancing that decision with everything being on your head and everything you're responsible and accountable for versus actually still making the manager have that responsibility and accountability for the final decision so we'll touch more in great depth and detail on this in a few minutes time from the corner is straight into the back of the net Quickly taken corner. I think the Forest fans were still celebrating the fact that they'd saved the penalty. The players were still celebrating with the keeper almost when the ball was floated in and it's knotted into the back of the net. Forest can't believe it. Hull City have the lead. 60 seconds after missing a penalty. It's Forest nil. Hull City won. Dean, we're recording this on the afternoon of the Middlesbrough game on the Tuesday night. You're all yeah. uh, suited and, and ready to go up to the northeast, east where, of course, you used to play. Um, you were at the Forest game the other week. You just heard uh, John's goal there. How important a victory was that? How impressive was that Forest performance? It was a great performance, in, the, in, in fairness. A very disappointing Nottingham Forest team, in my opinion. You know, I, I don't think I've seen a worse team for a long, long time. But credit to the lads, credit to Nigel, that obviously we got at him from, from the start. Yeah, you missed the penalty. John then obviously two or three minutes after headed it in the in the net. So that was a relief relief to him and then you know to get the second goal was you know obviously the icing on the cake, but I thought it was a, a really good performance. And just spoke to Lee there off air is <clears throat> tonight's a massive, massive game again against obviously my old club. Uh tough place to go to, the Riverside. You know, if we play like we did against Forest then you know we should get something out of the game. Will Keane led the line really well. I know you've been a big champion of his. Yeah. And it looks like, hopefully, fingers crossed, we do now have competition for places. Uh, Newer, Fraser, Adama and Abel Hernandez back in the under-23s. Yeah. 55 minutes at Sheffield Wednesday yesterday. So the competition for places, thankfully now, seems to be massive. Well, we've got plenty of strikers. Yeah. <laughs> we've got plenty of strikers, but obviously, yeah. Will did very well. At first, obviously, whatever, 18 minutes he played for a long time, being out for injury. But I thought he did okay. Do you know? I, I'm not saying that he's going to be a number nine. I don't think he's a number nine. Do you know? I think he's better just playing off the front. Do you know? He's he's quite mobile. He's got good football intelligence. Do you know? He, he brings people into into play. 
but I don't see him as a number nine. But obviously Nigel threw him up there, you know, first start, and uh, yeah, he'll be pleased with his performance. Leon, the subject of the strikers, um, of course, there was a lot of talk in January about whether we, we were going to get anybody else in, possibility of, of getting some more firepower. And with those options available that we've just been talking about, was that the case that you knew this would happen and a striker wasn't the priority for the club? Yeah, I think we, I suppose, really looking back into the summer window, you know, the the situation with Abel, you mentioned there, his time out through the Achilles, it, it wasn't anticipated by the club, obviously. And at this level, he's guaranteed goals 20 he got in the last promotion season so I think from our point of view that was something that wasn't ideal at all alongside some of the other players that we were chasing in the summer we felt there was options there that had they come to fruition we would have been okay um, alongside that now you've obviously got as you've mentioned there Fraser Nua Will coming back we've got obviously different options there now to go forward so for for the sum, for the January window as we've just gone through yeah, there was natural areas we wanted to fill and that they were obviously highlighted. Was Josh Windus on your radar? Oh, that didn't take long, did it? Get in there. I knew I'd get it in. <laughs> Josh? Who was he? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. You're a hat-trick hero, Josh Windus. Yeah, oh, well, at the minute, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dean, I'm looking at the coming games after Middlesbrough tonight. Sheffield United, Barnsley, Ipswich, Millwall, yeah. Norwich, Birmingham, all coming up before the international break. Four of those at home. That is a great opportunity to rack some points up, isn't it? Yeah. Listen, after the performance against Forest, you know, obviously the lads forget about the Chelsea game. That's you know, they, you know, we had three players out who couldn't play, so it wasn't our strongest team. But I look at it now after the Forest performance that the lads, you know, obviously we going in for, going to the game tonight full of confidence. And as you say, it's desperate that we don't we don't get beat. You know, bring something back with us, um, and then we, we we take Sheffield United on Friday night. But you know, every game now from from now to the end of the season is going to be a cup final for us. Lee, um, we, we we all seem to be impressed by the two recruits that we did manage to get in the January transfer window. What attracted you to Angus and to Harry? I think it's they've obviously got qualities and, and for different reasons, both aren't uh, in terms of Harry's situation, obviously as a young player coming through at a big club um, and giving opportunity to those quality of players where the balance of being um, penalised if you don't play them by their parent club versus actually them coming in on merit. Obviously, we've seen in the, the games so far that Harry's obviously got the goal at Forest and, and been involved in two penalty incidents for the club. So, shows the type of player he is uh, and can potentially be for us. Obviously, disappointing with the injury now, but again, that's part of the, the game and we have to we have to move forward from that. Um, in terms of Angus, um, again, a player that had come from, from Torquay to do very well for, for Barnsley last year in a side that a lot of people watched and... You know, they sold some high-profile players in their January window and through to the summer and just through circumstances has fallen and by the wayside. But for us, he's, he's versatile, can play both sides. He's of a good age. Obviously, we know the situation with our own centre-backs and whether they're loan or out-of-contract ones moving forward. You know, it was a position we knew we had to generate um, a potential target to bring in on a permanent basis and, and he was one of the ones the manager liked. <laughs> So Jackson Irvin with a chance to build the counter-attack here. Down the right-hand side, the ball goes. There are three men ahead of Jared Bowen. Bowen's going inside instead. Now outside, plays it across to John Torrell, who's knocked it to the back stick and met it. 2-0 to Hull City. It's Will Keane on the far post, who's running in. Torrell's done some great work after Jared Bowen had set it all up down that right-hand side, sliding in at the far post, beating his man and putting Hull City... 2-0 to the good.
Lee, we're now going to take a look at your role at the club. Always intrigued to know how you get into this sort of field of work because if we go right back to the start, because I read somewhere that you had a fairly promising career as a player before you got yourself injured. So what happened? It wasn't intentional, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was, uh, as a young player, I was um, at the FA National School at Lillishall, coming through a group which included um, Jamie Carragher, Gavin McCann, Stephen Clements, a, a decent group, I think you'd agree. Um, went out to play um, senior football. Uh, Old Athletic was my club at the time, and and got injured in a in a reserve game. A bit of a bad tackle, which I'm a bit uh, uh, what's the word frustrated about. Or was um, it? Or was it? Who done you? Lee Ashcroft. Lee Ashcroft. Yeah. yeah Preston. So, so I got two footed and broke my wrist. Well, broke a bone in my wrist, and, and obviously as a goalkeeper, uh, came back, played again, broke it again, and and obviously my manager at the time decided that was enough. So. Oh. Moved on from there. So you ended up at Prozone, the stats firm. How how come you ended up there? Yeah, so I worked, um, played non-league whilst I was at university. Again, just for the record, I'm not sure I went to university with EAB, which is a popular uh, story going around. Um, but then ended up, obviously, with playing experience, sports science degree, um, coaching experience, and working for the company that was trying to get into a, a football support role. It was It was ideal from that point of view. And... Yeah, so my first club was um, Bolton Wanderers, yeah. And you've also been there with Aston Villa, West Brom, Burnley and Norwich. So what roles were you performing at those clubs? Yeah, so I uh, did a year at uh, Bolton, did a year then at Aston Villa with Graham Taylor. And then through the company, they provide analysts to the clubs. So the opportunity came at, at West Brom, um, so took that. And then when they prov- when they changed provider to Amisco, which was a, a rival company, West Brom employed me directly to, to run that and then... Working underneath uh, Dan Ashworth at the time as a sports director, went across into the recruitment department, managed the internal systems there, and obviously in uh, 2012 it was, do I move and take the added resp- responsibility and set up on my own, or do I stay and continue to do the role I did? So yeah, I went to Burnley. So how did you end up here in the summer? Obviously uh, lost my role at, at Norwich um, through a change around in the in the club structure there, and I suppose like like everyone who finds themselves out of work, you. You take time to reflect on good and bad and, you know, what you could do to, to move forward. So from my point of view, it was looking at clubs that I felt had an opportunity to develop and get my teeth stuck into really was, was the big big thing. And I suppose looking at the club from the outside in, in previous years, you know, they do a lot of work in the summer and it was stepping into that environment really to, to take on the challenge because I, I do think it can get better. And one of the things that was changing rapidly over the summertime when you arrived was the scouting system and the scouting network. How comfortable are you with that as it currently stands for the club? Domestically, I'm, I'm more than happy. Under the previous head coach, obviously, um, when Mike left in, in January time, Stan Turner followed quite soon after that. And, and obviously, from my opinion, that the, the department wasn't fit for purpose. Um, so coming into that in... In the summer, as I mentioned earlier on, working with a head coach I'd never known, a head coach that hadn't worked in the league, that was a big challenge. So at the same time as providing enough options for Leonid and obviously ultimately the owners to, to pursue, we had to build the system to support that. And that's with knowledge, which, as I've mentioned, we're now in a position domestically that absolutely fine, no problem at all with that. But in the summer window, you're kind of working off your own knowledge base the coach's knowledge base, whether that's guys like Tony Pennock around the building and Pat Mountain as was, and 
you know, we, we worked together to try and bring the right options forward at the same time as obviously we lost some significant players. Stuart White is also accompanying you um, on this journey with the scouting team. What other roles do you have people working in? So we have domestic scouts obviously covering opposition. Um, we have domestic scouts covering players from non-league all the way through to the 23s and obviously then up into the league structure. Um, we cover domestically, including Scotland, just so Dean knows. We, we've got a guy up there that works for us. And um, and that's, that's it within this region. Out with that, we have... Um, uh, data analyst in the stadium who basically what we do is we utilize data to highlight players of potential interest um, we don't have people based abroad um, so at the moment as I said the priorities for Leonid and for Nigel now were players that domestically know the league and know the requirements so again within six months we're okay domestically and we've then got the potential to move forward into to relevant foreign markets are you working now because there's a lot of players with contracts are up yeah. so now you're working as we speak, you know, looking for the for players in the summer. Yeah, we you know as soon as as soon as the windows close, you start on the next one. Right. So, right, okay. a lot of agents disappear off the face of the earth for a week or two after that when your phone's been ringing. But no, as soon as one window closes, we we definitely start on the next one. And and in fairness, probably last summer we were looking at this summer coming up because obviously, like you said, the contract situation is there yeah. for for everyone to see. So, mm. you know, unless people resign. Then you're always looking to give a suitable. Well, Nigel say to you, right? I'm after blah blah blah. Then you'll get them. What you've just said, all them scouting people, just to go watch this player and for for obviously so for next season. Is blah 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 a player or a is player, blah, blah, or yeah, a position? A player, yeah. Um, yeah, I think from our point of view, like I said, the games we've covered, I think we've covered to date since the start of the season, something like 700 games, right, across all levels. So from that point of view, the knowledge is there. You go to watch the games to get a rounded opinion of the player, good, bad or indifferent. And then obviously when you think they've got the qualities that, that Nigel wants in this case, then, then right. yeah, you put the names right. forward. Last summer, there were an awful lot of um, ins and particularly outs. How would you reflect on the window back in the summer of 17? Obviously, from my point of view, there was no control over the lo- number of loan signings that we had. Uh, obviously, they were done under Marco. Um, obviously, relegation took care of itself in, in the ones that obviously went back to the parent clubs. And then obviously there's a lot of conversations with the the numbers of players we lost, whether it's Harry, Sam, Josh, you know, going, uh, Robbo going out to, to Liverpool, or, you know, you even got Curtis and Tom and Eldin. So there's a, there's a large number of players gone out of the building with a large number of experience. So that was difficult. But ultimately those conversations had happened <coughs> obviously prior to to me joining. So you can't, prevent some of the deals happening for, for all the will in, in the world. Are you, are you a favour of, of the loans? Because when I was a player, no disrespect, but you come you, you come to a football club on loan and yes, you want to win games. Yes, you want to improve. Yes, you want to play. But my feeling was that they're just going to go back to their club and they don't really care in a sense. Are you a favour of a loan or are you... Uh, and, and people who are listening, how many loans can are you, are you allowed? I know the answer, but can you tell? What? Yeah, I think for, for me, the loan... Personally, I'd already prefer our own players because you're developing your own asset, um, as can be seen in the summer window, whether you think that was good value or, or bad value as the market moved through the summer. But developing, I suppose, Ola, Harry, uh, Fikayo, Michael, we're not seeing them. That We're developing them for obviously other people to, to ultimately use and, and benefit from. But in the missing element of not attracting the players you want, supplementing with loans, 
for me is fine as long as they're the right ones and yeah. actually they want to be here and they want to be here and obviously I think you know we referenced Harry earlier on I think where we are in the league table it shows the character that he's prepared to come and gain experience but mm. bring something to the table so you were thrust into a, a relationship with uh, Leonid and Oleg when you when you came to the club and of course very quickly it's all changed with Nigel and do those two managerial methods work differently for you how how have you approached your relationship with both of those for me i think it's i think you said it there that the word relationships and it, you know i didn't know either before I, before they came to the club so you've got to develop that relationship because ultimately the message we pass down through Stuart to the regional guys is with their eyes you know and ultimately their ears as well so it's hearing gossip hearing rumours what are people looking at you know what's the status of players at other clubs are they looking to come out on loan are they available to purchase but ultimately going back to the qualities the players bring to the to the team and to the squad because um, Nigel was pretty vocal during the window about needing a winger, needing a centre-back. So you were able to deliver that for him. How how difficult was that, though, to get over the line? Because once again, it was it was a last-minute thing. Yeah, but people always say it's last-minute, and by the signature on the paper, absolutely, totally agree. Um, but there's a lot of work goes into, A, making sure the players you want are available, uh, making sure you can afford them, making sure they've got the qualities you want, and making sure they want to come. So... In Harry's case, uh, Harry's name was on a list of seven wide players. You don't always get your first one. And ultimately, that's the purpose of the recruitment department because as you put a line through, one another one opens up and one you might not thought you would have got, you end up being available to get. So hence, we cover the volume of games we've got so we can react to those situations. And yeah, on paper, it was it was, it was was obviously late, but the process starts obviously, as we mentioned there, at the, at the end of the summer window. Mm. But the domino effect can't help you either, can it? Absolutely not, no. 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 Because you're no. waiting for somebody to become available because somebody else has signed somebody else to replace that person and then hopefully... Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it's difficult as well is that, you know, the, the way that we are in the league at the minute, again, is the challenge. That, from my opinion, yeah. we're, we, we're far better than where we are in the league, but the league is is, is factual. So to, to sell the opportunity of the club and Nigel and his coaching methods and the way he wants to play and the style he wants to play and the environment around the club and there's obviously documented issues there it, it takes a lot of work to convince people that holds the right place to come and apply their trade not just the players though the agents you mentioned them uh, earlier on about them not answering the phone at certain points just when you think this is it we're nearly there the role of agents now does appear to have changed dean i'm guessing will probably know a bit more having worked under agents and and uh, and being associated with them how do you find working with them as a whole? I, I don't mind, to be fair. I think, obviously, again, you know, you've done your research earlier on and there was a, a documented incident at, at Burnley. But part of my job is to stay in contact with the people that know the availability or not of their players. And there's no other way than doing that than picking the phone up or writing an email or text or however it be any, anymore. So it's staying now abreast of situations. So we've got positional requirements for the summer, Okay, so how do we make sure we know what types of players are going to be available to us and therefore we don't waste time and resource on chasing things that are never going to happen? I think within that as well, the relationship with them is vital because I don't personally, I don't like agents that just blanket you with whatever they've got. I prefer them to build a relationship where they, they watch how we play, 
They know what the coach wants to do. They know what the players within those positions are currently doing. Therefore, when they do ring you, it's because they've got a player that improves us. And whether that's the qualities of the players or the financial parameters we have to work in, they've got the information. It seemed we had uh, quite a, a public pursuit of Aberdeen's Scott McKenna and uh, Rolando Aarons at Newcastle. How close were we to getting those two guys? It's <laughs> <laughs> a big smile. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those. Obviously, in Rolando's case, you know, we had a list of wide players that were we felt were relevant and um, achievable. Now, in his case, the club wanted him to go a certain place um, and the player wanted to go somewhere different. So we're powerless in that sense yeah. because obviously it's the player that holds the cards and who influences the player? How do they influence the player? They're all questions that obviously are relevant. Obviously reference uh, the Aberdeen situation. Again, we highlight players all the time and you know, you talked about things happening late. That one didn't, that happened early, but it just drew out and drew out. How come that didn't happen then, if you, if you can answer that? Um... The Obviously, player? the bid wasn't accepted. The bid, all oh, right. So it was the club, yeah. not, not not the player. Well, we, we just we can't talk to the player until we right. Can okay, talk yeah. to the club. right. Okay. So we've all played computer management games. Um, and I haven't. We all think neither really? have I. Neither really? have I but apparently, you've I never do. played. <laughs> you've never played a football simulation manager game. Never. No. My word. Never played FIFA. Never done all like nothing. Oh. You start at about eight o'clock at night. Suddenly, it's three o'clock in the morning, and and Never you, you've it. just avoided relegation to League One. It's great. Oh yeah, brilliant! Grab yeah. <laughs> watch Coronation Street and Emmerdale. But then we got on the easy level. We all find it's a, a bit easier, and 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 we start winning the European Cup, and it's it's amazing. Um, so I can imagine that the there are people who think, oh, this this management lark's easy. Picking a team is easy. Getting the right players in is easy. When it doesn't <laughs> go so well, Lee. Um, how how difficult is that for you to take on the chin when when sometimes there's criticism about about the um, the process of getting the players to um, sign? I think I think there's different ways to look at it. I think in terms of people understanding the process is the first. And again, we're not the only club looking at player A, for example. So, in all the will in the world, you can put down your list of ideal signings and. You know, the, the gossip pages are full of them every day. So, But ultimately, the realities of getting that player take a lot of work. Hence why you have four, five, six, seven names on a list, because you need to make sure you're comfortable with any one of those at any given time. And it's, which do we pick? Do we hold out for number one, or do we pick three or four? Well, ultimately, the fact they're on your list means the head coach is happy with that player, otherwise they don't go on. Um, so I suppose from that point of view, they're all ratified to an, uh, to an extent where the, the coach and Nigel's case is, is fine with those players. Um, I suppose, how do I reflect and look at things personally? Yeah, of course it's personal because you've put a lot of time and effort doing the right things and line up the right, what you believe people are in terms of their character and their abilities. And, t- and players take time to adjust. So I think, again, we look at the, the summer market in terms of the club for us now, it's... We missed out on players that, again, went for, for financial reasons. Um, and again, that's the parameters I have to work in. Um, along with that, you lose players. On deadline day, we lost two players, which was obviously Leonid's preference and we were hanging out for. So you try and support the head coach in, in giving him what he wants. But again, you might miss things that go along the line. So do you take somebody for taking sake or do you take the right ones? And again, 
in my opinion, we were light in the wide areas, which is which is an obvious. So it was frustrating from that point of view. And yeah, you take that personally. How difficult does the fact that we're in a relegation scrap at the moment make it to get players to come here as well? For the January window? or yeah. um, No, we had options in January. Absolutely fine, we had options. And again, some go away for, for different reasons, which in the January market is financial. Um, and then of, along with that, you have the, the players themselves. So if you're taking, you know, you mentioned the centre-back situation. So two experienced centre-backs move within the championship on loan. Were we interested? Did we want them? Have they got the right qualities? Do they then want to play? Otherwise, they might as well stay at the parent club. Can you guarantee that? Absolutely not. So there's there's lots of different factors. And again, obviously with Angus, it was actually, let's take one that's, that's our player. And uh, obviously we can develop. Down the line to Irvine. Good control by the Australian. Nice one-two with Campbell. And then spreads it through to Bowen. He's inside the area. It's, it's a goal! Bowen's cross has taken a wicked deflection and Hull City have taken the lead the result of a great move from left to right okay it took a deflection but it's Bowen's goal and that is a fantastic moment here at Deepdale for Hull City so Lee let's uh let's line it up a little bit and I know you've been quite worried about this little bit this is the quiz this is the chance for myself and dean to pose some questions now it's a little different today because obviously um all the questions so far to all of our guests have been on their past careers so the leaderboard right now still sees Mm -hmm. leonid slutsky and michael dawson with five out of five tony pennick and john beale four out of five no pressure with three you got phil brown jackson irvine john hawley craig fagan and david marlon will keen one out of five and even then it wasn't really one so we're so gonna, I've got to beat zero. We're going to ask you questions. Yeah. You've got to beat one. Based on transfer records. Okay. As you don't have a Wikipedia playing career. <laughs> <laughs> so question number one is this. Who became the first million pound player in British football? Trevor Francis. Okay, so we, would, we don't tell you the answers until the answers, end, but though. there we go. So that's, that's question one. Dean? Question two. Virgil van Dijk brought the record for a fee paid for... A defender in January who held the record before him. I've got time, mate. Uh, you can come back got, to it. No, I've got a choice of two. Go on then. Ooh. Do I have to give me two or then do I just you give You can give one? me two, but then give me one answer. Mendy or Walker from Man City. Okay, which one are you going with? Oh, does Laporte count? Because oh, he was a January, but he was a later January. January. Mendy. Question three. Which two players broke the championship incoming transfer record this summer? No, I'm struggling. Really? Mm. Let me think. Asom Bolonga. Yeah. I might need to think a bit more about that one. Okay, we'll come back back to to that one. Yeah. Yeah. Question four. How much did Aberdeen pay for my services in 1995? Again. You know how good I was, Lee? You know how good I was? Yeah, no pressure. You know, that's a career. Uh, <clears throat> 23 years ago. 23 yeah. years ago, yeah. So, it'd be, you know what I mean? It's not going to be. 600 grand. Finally, question five. 
This is incredible. How many signings have the club made since you arrived in the summer? 13. Okay. I'm going back to the question that Steve asked you, the other signing. You've given us Britain some longer. Yeah. Is he one? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. That's a great answer, by the way. I didn't think you'd get this. No. I need to think. Played for Wolves. Oh. Yotta. Costa. No. No. <laughs> no, it's not. Is it not? No. It's Ruben Neves. Ruben Neves. Yeah. To be fair. <laughs> to be fair. You've done well there, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So who became the first million pound player in British football? Question one. Uh, yes, of course, it was Trevor Francis from Birmingham to Nottingham Forest in 1979. Although Brian Clough always said, I think he said he paid 999999 because he didn't want him to be the first million pound footballer. It's still officially he is. Right. Uh, question two, Dean asked uh, about Virgil van Dijk breaking the record. You were right to go with Benjamin Mendy. Monaco to Man City, £52 million. Pounds. Before that. 45. Question three, Ruben Neves and Britt Asomba longer. So it's a half a point. It looks like it's yeah. going to be our first yeah. half ah, point yeah. answer. Um, however, are we going to give this, because this is such a long time ago, 23 years ago, because you were nearly there with Dean. Uh, how much did Aberdeen pay? You said 600,000. And it was amazingly more than that. It was 700,000. Mm. I'm going to go against you because I thought it was 600,000. I think it was 600,000 up front, but I don't know about the add-ons. Oh, right. Oh, well, let's give him it then. Well, I, when, they said, when, when they said, well, well, when I spoke to Sam in the office of the week, I says, it's 600. And he says, yeah, that was the figure that we came up with. But I'm quite sure that there was a, a little bit more add-ons, but probably the agent got the add-ons. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Ali could have said 300,000, he'd have been plainly wrong. He when could he have said, said 2 million pounds and be really, really wrong. Well, when he said 600 grand, I thought that was the, the correct answer. And finally, we asked about how many signings the club made since you arrived in the summer. You gave an answer of 13. I'm pleased to inform you that you are correct. 13 is the answer. So you've got uh, one, two... Four and a half. Uh, yeah. Wow, that's good. That's so you're good. second on the leaderboard behind Leonid and Michael. Well second. done. Well done, Lee. Brilliant. Why did you come up with 600 grand? What was that figure in your head for? I didn't want to insult you with less than 500. <laughs> <laughs> now here's Dicko out to Bowen, just outside the area on the right. Pass it in, gets a shot in, takes a deflection. It's a goal! It's a goal for Hull City in the 18th minute. Jared Bowen breaking into the area to the right of the goal, a right foot shot, took a wicked deflection, went over the head of Jordan Smith, hit the bar and over the line. Hull City 1, Nottingham Forest 0. Lee, we asked social media for some of their questions for you. Predictably, we had a fair few responses, uh, but we'd like to ask you a couple more serious questions to be fair to those people. So firstly, what's a typical day for you? Uh, there isn't one, if I'm honest. I didn't I think, think there would um, Obviously, you, you balance being in and around the club, um, whether that's with the owner or with the coaching staff and, and the head coach, um, versus um, taking calls from agents, versus watching our own players, as I mentioned earlier on, and, and looking at the foreign market, versus being out at games. So there isn't a typical, game, uh, typical day, but obviously games dictate the main part of your week, and then obviously you, you work in and around that. 
Going back to uh, August, did you feel that the team were maybe underprepared going into the season before we actually kicked a ball? I think underprepared is a uh, an unfair word. I think you're prepared with the group you've got as best as you can be. I think there's obviously a lot made about the timings of signings and getting them in earlier to help you prepare, and I, I totally agree with that. If if you look at the the information once the transfer window closed in September, we had the worst amount of players from the previous season in terms of still in the squad. We were the worst in the league. So the amount of turmoil around and turnover of players, obviously we mentioned, was it 14 left and 11 came in in the summer? Potentially we're faced with a scenario similar this summer. So goes back to the conversation and my attraction of the job is I personally think that that's not the right way to go. And the positivity that I can potentially change that strategy going forward is what excites me really. Also from Twitter, how will the early closure of the summer transfer window now affect the preparation for the next summer window? Preparation goes, as I mentioned earlier on, from from the moment one closes, the next one opens up. So, for example, you're looking at players that didn't move in the January that are still at their parent clubs, or you're now looking at players that have gone out on loan to get game time that you might have been interested in to to reaffirm your opinions. Or, you know, we, we mentioned earlier on about um, obviously the situation with Aberdeen we still watch relevant markets so just because we didn't go for somebody in January doesn't mean we don't go for them in the summer So on that subject Scott McKenna, is is there a chance somebody's asked on, on Twitter if there's any chance of him coming albeit six months later than planned? There's always a chance Okay um, and finally, there was a lot more Twitter questions, by the way, but uh, we, we seem to have covered them in what we've done already. How confident are you that we will have that squad ready for the start of next season? You have to be confident, otherwise you end up uh, swimming against the tide. I think, um, again, we've got a lot of decisions to make in terms of uh, the current squad and obviously the, the players going forward contractually, some which is in our control, some which isn't. Um, and then obviously we have to find a suitable volume of players to to come into the structure we have going forward that we can attract in an ideal world as early as possible. Irvine looking to get to the byline, gets the cross in, it's not a bad one, Bowen on the far post, can he get a header in? Yes he does, and there's Dicko, and it's a goal! What a great goal for Hull City! A second goal, the cross by Irvine from the right, it went skywards, when it came down there was Bowen, he nodded it back, and there was Dicko from about six yards. Again, it came off the woodwork, but it's Hull City 2, Nottingham Forest 0. Quick look ahead now to Friday night in a big game at the KCOM Stadium. Obviously, Dean, you're on your way to Borough, so we've got no idea how the team fared there. Um, of course, uh, disappointing defeat at Chelsea last Friday night in the FA Cup. But these next two home games, discarding tonight against Sheffield United and Barnsley, really quick fire games as well at home these are huge aren't they two derbies really Steve yeah, yeah 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 you know and the one thing about it when I played in derbies is that you know the manager didn't really have to say much you know what, what it's all about you know Sheffield United will bring a uh, a good following with them Chrissy Wilder's doing a great job to be fair and, and they played really well as well at Bramall Lane you know when, when they beat us at Bramall Lane so you know it, it's going to be a tough test you know but as you say every every game now from now to the end of the season is going to be, be going to be crucial. Like Lee, you know, mentioned there, you know, it's it's a tough it's a tough ask. It's a tough yeah. league. Uh, we all know if you don't perform on one given day, you're going to get beat by either the top or the bottom. And uh, but as you say, I don't think 
we'll get relegated. I think we've got enough. I think, like Lee said, we've got a good squad of players. It's just getting the best out of that squad of players. And whatever team Nigel plays tonight against Borough, and then obviously then you just said Sheffield United, do you know it's gonna, every game is going to be crucial. As a former blade yourself, how well do you get on with the fans from South Yorkshire? I got listen. I, I, every every club I played for, you know, I, I had a, a great rapport with it, every every supporter. Really, when they seen you, you know, having a good go, uh, you know, wearing heart on the sleeve, which I did in my football career. Yes, you're going to have bad games, but it's how you, you know, if they look at you trying, basically, then they're gonna they're gonna take to you. So Sheffield United fans were brilliant towards me, uh, like every other supporter was, and. You know, I'm looking forward to the game. I've got Ryan France, who's who's going to be my guest on the on the, on the evening, doing the lounges with yourself and Alex. So looking forward to seeing Ryan. Um, Lee, what sort of threat do you think Sheffield United will bring with them? Well, I think it's a, a team that are obviously resulting in the positive from last season, and, and they've done really well to start the season and keep that momentum going. I think uh, obviously it's a, a different type of shape than generally teams adopting this league and, and they've recruited personnel that fit that shape which again going forward is a is a good thing to do it's square pegs square holes and all that kind of conversation so um, they work hard they know their jobs and, and I think what they do is that collectively they're a strong group and we always seem to think that we can pick up points at home simply because we've got the home crowd behind us like you said Dean two local derbies how, <clears throat> how important is it for a player to have the home side Shouting as loudly as they can and getting behind them. Yeah, listen, you know, it's, you know, people say it's the 12th man. And I think now <clears throat> it's very important that the supporters get behind the team, you know, from now to the end of the season. You know, whatever's going on, you know, it's about the team. You know, I think he did an interview with, with, uh, with Radio Humberside saying it's about the team. Um, and that's the most important thing is that, you know, we don't want to be in a relegation scrap, but we are at the minute. And you know the more vocal and the more support they can get from the from the from the supporters, you know it's it's an added incentive for for the players to to go perform and yeah so you know hopefully from now to the end of the season the supporters will get behind behind the lads and you know as you say the most important thing now is to stay in this division and then obviously then Lee can start recruiting in the summer. Before we go, Lee, um, I think it's only. Right and fair of me to ask you, because you are sort of like a mystery man behind the scenes. Um, in your career, which are the transfers that you're most proud of getting over the line? Oh, um, I think it's difficult. I think for each club you work for at the time, there's different um, circumstances you have to operate within. So uh, from going back to the West Brom days, taking Gareth McCauley on a free transfer at his age was... Fans, turned out now fantastic for the club. Um, working on to Burnley, uh, Burnley were obviously uh, in some financial issues. Parachute payments were ending. Didn't own the stadium. Didn't own the training ground. So we had to work within a certain structure, which for the first window was free agents. So of that group, uh, Tom Heaton obviously was uh, was long term now a, a really good one for us. Um, the first transfer fee we spent at Burnley was Ashley Barnes at 400,000. So they take time to come through and develop. I think a lot of the um, speculation I'll probably focus on my role is that when you lose a core group of players, the ones that come in are expected to hit the ground running straight away. And sometimes it takes time to develop. And I think the the cornerstones we put in at Burnley now have shown to, to bear fruit. And that's a new training ground. It's obviously 
talk about transfer fee history and them spending the money spent on Chris Wood and Robbie Brady, you know, which we took at, at Norwich from from ourselves now. So with the Norwich ones, Robbie Brady was a club, club record sale. So that was obviously positive for the group that we, we took him in. Along with that, you've got Alex Pritchard. And again, the confusion around some of the deals is where the figures reported aren't necessarily the figures. So we, we talked about Dean's transfer fee earlier on. You know, that that frustrates because it's a deal up to, you know, the actual nuts and bolts of the initial payments and then how the remaining contingency payments are split are, are private. So to sell him to the Premier League, again, it's another one that a player you had that wasn't able to get the club I was at at the time up into the Premier League has moved to the Premier League. So that's always good when people move to, to higher levels. Um, James Madison won, obviously, now in the Championship that's getting a lot of plaudits. And, you know, I think Norwich were really happy to keep on to him in the in the January window, having sold Jacob Murphy to Newcastle for, for £12 million in the summer. So that there's lots of different ones that please you at different stages. So you just hope that you find undervalued talent and given the opportunity and given the environment to, to develop, they turn up in to be what you thought they could be. Well, Lee, it's been absolutely fascinating to have you in today. Thank you so much for coming into the Tigers podcast. And uh, good luck with the rest of the season and then with um, your phone bill from June onwards when hopefully it'll all get a little busier again uh, from our point of view. Dean, um, thank you for coming in as well. I'll see you next time round. And uh, don't get too cold tonight at Middlesbrough. Full of cold today. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. win. Good man. This has been the Tigers podcast. Thank you if you've got a question to us today and we managed to read it out. Keep looking on social media as you'll find out who our next guest is going to be and what question you can pose them. This has been the Tigers podcast. Up the Tigers. I got the eye of the tiger. The Tigers podcast with Viking FM. Adia Adia scored the third goal for Hull City. Can't get enough. Download more Tigers podcasts at HullCityTigers.com. And it's Jared Bowen again. He just cannot stop scoring. And catch the full match commentary of Viking 2 every match day on DAB and on 1161 AM.